familiar as I am with the saying, sticks and stones will break my bones, but is that true? No, is said emphatically. I have two older brothers. Now, I love my brothers, but you know, brothers are brothers. That's why we have the saying, oh, brother. And my brothers called me a name when I was a little girl that I still remember. Now, I know it was just immature silliness, but they called me suitcase lips. (laughs) You're laughing. You're laughing. I was traumatized by this word. You know, I used to try to take my lips and tuck them inside. You know, like, how can I make them smaller? Like, Amazing how a dumb statement from your brother can affect how you feel about your lips. I have recovered. Sticks and stones do break our bones. And names, they always hurt us. We've been talking about the kingdom of God. We've been talking about the Sermon on the Mount. We have been invited to gather just as those gathered in Jesus' time at his feet. And today he calls us again, and he says, Come, listen to the words that I have for you today. If you would listen to Jesus' words and imagine yourself right there on the mount, as Jesus is speaking to us and he's getting further and further along in his sermon, as Pastor John reminds us, he gets closer and closer to us. Well, today, I'm just going to warn you, Jesus is coming really close. He has some words for us today that will, guaranteed, will hit each one of us as they've already hit me in how we are to live out this life as kingdom and as king followers. You see, when we say the kingdom of God is welcome in our life, we are saying that the kingdom of God is in any space or place where the, is present where the reign and rule of God is welcomed, embraced, and accepted. If you are a believer, you have welcomed the reign and the rule of Jesus Christ in your life. Pastor John reminds us that spiritual gifts are actually the guaranteed place of power in your life. And when you practice spiritual disciplines as we taught all summer... They are actually the guaranteed place of transformation as we walk with the king. Well, the Sermon on the Mount is actually what the kingdom looks like. It's like what it smells like. It's like when people see it, they go, that is a sign of the kingdom of God. That is the kingdom of God. I see a resemblance of the king. It's the way we live out our lives on this earth. You know what? It's the everyday stuff of following the king of the kingdom. That's what this sermon is all about. 
In last week's message, Pastor John reminded us that it's grace that brings us to God. That we meet God through Jesus, because Jesus is the perfect law fulfiller, isn't he? He completed the law. He fulfills the law. We find our love in God through Jesus, the perfect keeper of the law. And the rest of our lives is really our opportunity to love him back. That's what we get to do as followers of Jesus. We get to love him back. And one major way that I show him my love is actually by doing what he says. You know, that's really what this is all about. He says, I'm going to tell you what it looks like to follow me. And, and if you do what I say, it's actually out of response because I love him. That's why I want to listen to him. You see, the law, those ancient commands, those ten commandments, the law itself forces you actually to see how desperate you are for Jesus. Right? None of us could keep it. But Jesus instead... He accepts you. He covers you. He fulfills the law on your behalf. And then he gives you the Holy Spirit. And that's the only way that you can possibly obey anything that he asks of us. But here's the clincher. The reason we follow Jesus and we love to obey him is out of love. It's not out of duty. The more you love Jesus, the more natural it is to actually do what he tells you to do. You don't do it begrudgingly and out of duty. I'm warning you, though, today. He is going to get up in your face. He's going to come close. He's going to call you and me out of, out of dark places, out of uh, an area of our life that he knows wrecks us. You see, if you really trust Jesus and you're sitting there on the mount and he is teaching you and then he draws close and says, I'm going to tell you six areas of your life that you need to get in order because it will give you freedom. Wouldn't you just lean in a little more? Wouldn't you go, I wonder what he's going to talk about. Like what would be the six main areas that he, I mean, he could talk about anything, right? So you might be going that list in your mind, like, what would he want to address with me? What would make a difference? What would Jesus actually care so much about that if there were only six things he's going to address, he's going to pick it? And to your surprise and to my surprise, the first thing he start, talks about is murder. Well, you're probably a little like me wondering, well, I'm not a murderer. I mean, I doubt there's anyone in this room or quite possibly listening to my voice now that hasn't been actually charged with physically murdering someone, the killing of another person, I mean, maybe you go, what does this have to do with me? I mean, I'm not a murderer. Maybe that guy over there, you know, those other people, they're murderers. But I'm not sure how this is going to connect with me. Well, you see, when Jesus teaches, remember, the kingdom of God flips our ideas upside down. You see, the ways of the world, Jesus reverses them. He turns them upside down, and he gives us a fresh and a kingdom perspective on what he means by murder. So come with me and listen to Jesus' words. You have heard, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Now, this was not new information. You have heard it. 
They have heard it. We know the law and we know that those murdered, those that murder are subject to just judgment. You see, Jesus quotes the Old Testament. We were reminded last week he doesn't dismiss the Old Testament. In fact, he demonstrates the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. This commandment, the sixth commandment in the Ten Commandments, says you shall not murder. This is a law, you see, to regulate our outward actions. Murder is pretty obvious, don't you think? Murder is obvious. But Jesus says these words, but I tell you. Well, whenever there's a but in Scripture, you need to stop right there. Because buts are very important in Scripture. Jesus says, but I tell you. You see, he grabs our attention. He says, well, you already know that. But I'm going to tell you something new. You see, Jesus taught us, and, and through the demonstration of the Old Testament law, that he is the fulfillment of that, that he has completed all of that, that he is actually setting up a new standard. And here's what he's about to say about murder. But I tell you that anyone, ready, who is angry, anyone who is angry with his sister or brother will be subject to judgment. He doesn't stop. He says again, pay attention, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now Jesus is putting murder in the same category as anger. Has he got your attention now? See, you have heard that murder, he says, is serious and it has, requires serious consequences. And you all understand that murder requires judgment, the worst kind of judgment. But he says, well, I tell you this, anger is just as serious and it will result in similar consequences. You see, 1 Samuel 16, 7 says this, that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. You see, Jesus' standard is about what's in our hearts. You can hide murder in your heart. You can hide murder in your heart. You see, in God's eyes, murderer is not limited to the one who commits physical murder. He's also the one who hates another person. So what you are in your heart is how you really are. He's illustrating to us the seriousness of anger and of bitterness in our lives. He says this, that we are actually in danger of judgment if we call our brother or sister Raka. Now, what does that word mean? Well, it simply means, it's like us saying, you're an idiot, you're stupid, you are, have an empty head. Now, is there anyone in this room that is innocent of using those words or even thinking those words? I doubt it, Right? How often are we guilty of calling another person or even thinking these derogatory words about another person? Calling them stupid, calling them an idiot. Jesus says, like, stop it. You're guilty. It, if, if you think it inside, it's the same as saying it on the outside. Sticks and stones break our bones. And names, they murder. 
To call someone a fool in those days was actually a very serious thing. No one would use that word in their society unless their anger had actually turned into hatred. Today, it would be compared to saying, and pardon the expression, but go to hell. That is exactly the same term that they would use in calling someone a fool. And actually what you're meaning, this offensive term in saying that to someone, you're actually condemning them, aren't you? You're actually condemning that person to the ultimate judgment you want them removed. That is what that word meant in those days. And Jesus says that is the same as murder. You see, he's building a case by using examples that we can actually relate to. But I say to you, if you're angry with, with another, if you call another person a, let's use today's term, loser, right? Is that not the same as idiot, stupid, right? If you call another person a derogatory term, if you desire them the judgment of hell, you are a murderer too. You will be in danger of the fire of hell does not mean that you're going to lose your salvation, you're no longer going to heaven, but rather you're going to hell. You see, it's a, a statement of judgment. In those days, people were subject to the highest court of Jewish law, which was the Sanhedrin law. And it was also called the Guyana, which was the Greek translation, which described the Valley of Hinnom, which was a ravine just outside of Jerusalem. Now, this ravine outside of Jerusalem was where they burnt all their garbage, all their refuge went there. And if we look in the Old Testament times, we see there was more than garbage burnt in this valley. That in very evil times, they sacrificed their children in this very same valley. The fire of hell is what they called it. Jesus is making a strong point. None of us are innocent of murder and worthy of the worst kind of punishment. He is not saying that we can never be angry. Because Jesus actually showed the emotion of anger in his own life, didn't he? Do you remember when he went into the temple and he overturned the tables? Do you remember when he spoke to the Pharisees and he called them a brood of vipers? Uh, like that's a word. You, this is, Jesus was angry, but here's the difference. Jesus, had, Jesus was angry against unrighteousness itself. Jesus' anger was not directed at people, but it was directed after injustice. You see, we can be angry at injustice in our world, as we experienced this week. We can be angry at injustice. But Jesus is talking about turning our anger on another. You know, in relationships, anger is a tricky thing, isn't it? It can come up so quickly, and I was reading... Uh, an article this week from one of our own people, David Lim, and he was writing about marriage and relationships, and he was talking about the power of words. And he was saying, you know, the words that we use in our relationships, whether they're with our spouse or with our families, we, we, don't, we don't pay attention. We bicker. We get in habits of this bickering pattern, this arguing pattern. Maybe we're not using curse words, and we, but we use words like, well, that's a stupid idea. Or there you go again. Or you're always, or are you nuts? Do you not hear the resemblance of calling people a fool? You see, underneath those statements in our bickering and the way that we attack and chip away at each other is, is two things. We're really saying, you are really the problem, not me. 
and I'm right about this issue, and you're wrong and you need to change. I mean, is that not really what's underneath all of that bickering and the words that we use? It's rooted in anger. This is anger in itself. It breaks down relationships. It chips away. Jesus is telling them that not dealing with anger, allowing words, even as we think are trivial, those words to come out of our mouth will grow into hatred. And we will have to deal with very serious consequences. And remember, before you get too high on your horse, he's talking to us, us kingdom followers, his own kids. He's talking to us. It's not about those other people. He is talking to you and I, and he uses actually two examples to drive this home. And the first example he uses is right in church. So he doesn't want us to miss the point. He's going to take us right into church, and he's going to tell us what this looks like. He's saying this is so serious that you must be reconciled or make things right with each other before you even begin to open your mouth and sing a worship song. You need to make things right with people before you even pray those prayers, before you even step in the doors of this church. Another pastor said it like this, we love to substitute ceremony for our lack of character. We would rather show up to church and go through the motions than actually face our own lack of integrity our own impurity, and our own lack of love for others. Isn't that so true? So here's his first example. You ready? Jesus' words. Therefore, he says, if you're coming to church and you're offering your gift at the altar, your worship, your tithe, your offering, your praise, your prayer, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them then come and offer your gift did you hear that word be reconciled reconciliation did you hear how urgent it is urgency to be reconciled why is that for our benefit or for the benefit of others well i want you to notice that in those verses he says remember if you get there and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you now, isn't that interesting? As soon as you become aware that you are not in right relationship with someone, whether by your own doing, intentionally, or unintentionally, as believers, we are always to be the initiators of making things right. The initiators of making things right. Romans 12, 13 says this, If it is possible... As far as it depends on who? You. I don't know that you were convinced. As far as it depends on who? Live at peace with everyone. Notice, you are to initiate. As far as it depends on you. Take responsibility to be right with people and to live at peace with everyone. Do you notice that this is not about being right or wrong? He's not saying whether you're right or wrong. You see, we love to be right. We love to argue our rights. We love to demand our rights. That's just our natural way. That is certainly the way of this world. You see, worldly advice and wisdom would always counsel you to what? Stand up for your rights. 
Kingdom mindset flips everything upside down. Kingdom mindset says this, lay down your rights. Even when you're right. Did you hear what I said? Lay down your rights even when you're right. How do we know this is true? Philippians 2, 6 to 8 tells us, Who, being in very nature God, Jesus, our King, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. By the way, he was right. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, he put human skin on, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Lay down your rights. You know, there's lots of ways that this can play out in our lives. This dealing with anger, this, the way it breaks down our relationships. You see, often we can lash out and not one of us can, I'm sure, can sit here and say we're not guilty of this. We lash out in anger at others, don't we? We sin directly against others, either by our words or by our actions. We are all guilty of hurting another. Or there's another way this plays out. A person may feel that that we have been unjust in our treatment of them. And possibly it could be even through inaccurate information. And they've been hurt, and they've taken on offense, but it actually wasn't our intention to hurt them. You see, we judge others by their actions, but we love to judge ourselves by our intentions. Don't we? But I didn't mean to hurt them. It wasn't my intention to hurt them, so it's actually their problem, not mine. Right? Jesus' standard. He says... You make it right. Often we are even deceived by our own true motives. We're always, we always need to check in with God and to examine our hearts, examine our own motives and our intentions. We can actually fool ourselves into believing that our motives are pure and right and, and underneath there, there was no selfishness going on, no pride going on. No, well, Jesus has a way of just making that really clear to us. Jesus is asking us to reconcile even when it is not our fault. To own our own sin and to also humble ourselves with another when they are hurt by us. You know, if you are the hurting person, it's difficult to take initiative, isn't it? When you're, you're really hurting and you're held back and you're hurt. You know what? Jesus actually knows this. I think it's so interesting that he tells the other person, to take the initiative. Isn't that interesting? If you know that somebody is hurt by you, they have some problem with you, you might not even have a problem with them. He says, you take the initiative. Now let's pause for a minute. Is the Lord bringing anything to mind that you need to take the initiative to reconcile? Is there a person in your life that you need to reconcile with? Even when you are not hurt or you're not personally offended, um, you have resolved things perhaps in your own mind and you have resolved things with God. He says, put down your offering, lay down your worship, silence your prayers, go make it right. Wow. 
That's tough stuff. That takes humility. How do you approach somebody that is hurt by you, that is angry or hurt by you? How do we deal with our enemies, those who are rightfully or wrongfully angry at us? Well, he goes on to the next verse. He says, settle matters quickly. I love how Jesus just lays it out there. He doesn't really give us, there's no trick question here. There's no trick answer. He says, settle it quickly. Settle matters quickly with your adversary. That's your enemy. This, this illustration now, this is outside of the church and you're being taken to court. Do it while you're still together on the way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. In other words, things are just going to get worse and worse and worse. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. Settle matters quickly. Don't let things simmer and grow over time. The Greek word for settle matters means to come to agreeable terms. You know what? Things get larger the longer they're left unattended, don't they? The price gets higher and higher to pay. To pay. It, the price may get to the point where actually you are in a prison. You are actually held in bondage. And it, do you notice that anyone in prison, they do not have the ability to pay their debts when you're in prison. Isn't that ironic? So someone else would actually have to pay for you. You ever left spoiled food sitting on the counter? Or food sitting, uh, the, the classic coffee cup on your desk that sat there for days or maybe weeks? And things start to grow. Green things, white things, black things, you know, start to grow. And over time, what happens? It doubles and triples in size, doesn't it? Those lovely science experiments. Leaving unattended relationships is like that. The price tag gets higher and higher over time. Those of you who are living or have lived in an angry marriage or an angry family, you know exactly what I'm talking about. After years of angry words, of hostility, and remember, we can have cold wars too. You can fight with words or you can fight with no words. With no true repentance, maybe with no one, no one willing to initiate, to break that cycle, the cost is very high. You see, pride in our life defends us, doesn't it? Pride puffs up like that science experiment that just keeps growing, it keeps inflating, it multiplies and it gets uglier over time. It makes things monster size. Well, you know what humility does? Humility deflates things. Humility says, I will come to agreeable terms. It agrees and says, I'm sorry. Two of the hardest words to say in our life. And please forgive me. You see, humility is like bursting a bubble. It takes all the power out of the situation. Hard words, aren't they? Hard words, I'm sorry. Let's think back. What did Jesus just tell them? Chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Now notice, Jesus did not say, blessed are the peacekeepers. 
You see, a peacekeeper avoids confrontation at all costs. The peacekeeper's main rule of thumb is peace at all costs. We want to maintain peace even at the risk of compromising truth, even at the risk of not sharing how something is hurting me. You see, that's not true peace. Jesus said, don't, he's not saying be a peacekeeper. He's saying be a peacemaker. Notice the difference? A peacemaker takes initiative. You see, it's out of love that we confront. It's out of love that we long for the truth. It's out of love that actually we share our hurt. It's out of love that we desire to be reconciled. And when we peace make, that gives promising uh, results and lasting results. There's a desire for openness when we peace make. No hiddenness is desired when you peace make. Rather, true humility and a desire for the relationship. God is calling you to be a peacemaker not a peacekeeper. He made peace. He made peace with us through Jesus' death on the cross. He initiated. He came. We had wronged him, yet he initiated peace. He tells us that this is the same calling that we have to be like Jesus. Listen to 2 Corinthians. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself, who brought us to himself through Christ, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing that we have a God that we have done nothing but offend nothing but sin against, and he actually makes peace. He initiates peace with us. He is the ultimate reconciler of relationship. You see, this is upside-down kingdom thinking. Reconciliation means to not count people's sins against them, to not hold grudges, to not hold anything against them. No bitterness, no grudge. Oh, by the way, no rehearsing of the event. You see, that's reconciliation. It, reconciliation, one, another pastor said, it's not likely to be something that happens to us as it is something we pursue. It takes a lot of initiative to be a peacemaker. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit, in fact, in us because without his power, we'd never want to do it. We would want to hold on to our own rights and our own ways. Are you known as a peacemaker in your family, in this church, at your workplace, in your neighborhood? Or are you always fighting with someone? Are you always frustrated with other people? Do you feel that somehow it's your responsibility to set people straight? Do you have the need to be right? Are you angry? Jesus says, stop it. Stop it. You are a murderer. You are killing others. Stop it. In fact, this is so serious. If we move into the book of Ephesians, we are reminded that anger and the root of bitterness gives access to the enemy himself in our life. 
You are actually giving Satan permission to wreak havoc in your life if you hold on to anger. And if you don't believe me, then believe what the Word of God says. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Notice, you can be angry, but you are not to sin. Sin comes when we allow unrighteous anger towards others and we do not quickly deal with it. Notice, before the end of the day. Now that doesn't mean everything will be resolved, all tied up in a nice neat package with a bow on it between the other person by the end of the day. But before the end of the day, you as a peacemaker have taken initiative towards peace, towards not allowing this root and evil anger that will reside in our lives. Listen to the Greek word. I remind you of the meaning of the word foothold. Do not give the devil a foothold. That word literally means don't give him an opportunity. Do not give him a place. Don't let his ugly foot inside. Do not give him any power or occasion for acting. Paul is saying, if you do not deal with anger, you as a Christian will give the demonic influence, you will give them occasion and opportunity for acting. You will make room in your life, in your mind, your emotions, your body, and, you, and your will. You will give permission to Satan himself to rule and to influence in your life. Anger creates an opening. It gives opportunity to Satan. You give permission to him. You give him rights to open the door. Now, it is interesting. A year ago today, I spoke on this stage. And if you were here on October 20th, 2013, I had my whiteboard. And I drew you the picture of the house. And I taught you that day the importance of shutting the door to the enemy. If you did not hear that message, go back to October 20th, 2013. If you don't believe me, listen to that message and the, how serious it is that we do not give permission, that we do not give the enemy access in our life as believers. We are not talking about being owned by Jesus. We are talking about the influence and the power and the occasion and opportunity to act that we give the enemy when we make agreements with him. The enemy will gain access to you as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ when you allow anger to rule in your hearts. When you do not deal with it. Again, what does Ephesians say? For our struggle, it is not against flesh and blood. It's not about other people. We think other people are the problem, don't we? If they would just get their act together, that flesh and blood, that family, that friend... They're the problem. No, no, no. Scripture says, actually, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not about the other guy. In fact, it's against the rulers. It's against the authorities. It's against the powers of this dark world and, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is warfare. This is not something that we can dabble around in our life and play games. This is why Jesus' words to us are so strong. This is, 
I'm guessing one of the reasons the very first topic he comes in our face about is murder. He says, be reconciled. Be reconciled quickly. Take initiative. Don't give the devil opportunity in your life. You see, the enemy will want to promote in your thoughts and in your situations bitterness. He would love you to rehearse the story. He'll love you to get to the point of rage, of anger, of malice, of unforgiveness, displayed in harsh speech, perhaps obscene language, ideas, he'll fill your ideas in your mind with, it's really okay. It's, you don't need to do, it's their problem. You don't need to deal with this. They'll say, don't be reconciled with that person. They don't even deserve it. You're right anyway. Go get all that is rightfully yours. Don't say your story or acknowledge that you even have, that, that even without intention, you've hurt somebody. Surely don't humble yourself. Do you hear the taunts of the enemy? That's the kind of things the enemy will, will do in our life. So I'm sitting in my office just a few weeks ago, and the phone rang. And it was actually a friend from C4 that I've known for many years. He begins to tell me, he said, I didn't know who to call, but I know that we're doing the Sermon on the Mount, and there was just some verses in the Sermon on the Mount that truly changed me at a critical time in my life. They changed the trajectory of my life. I wasn't sure who to call, so Lori, I just thought, I know you, I'll just talk to you. He had no idea that it was my assignment to speak on these verses today. He went on to tell me, and I know the story well, he and his wife were separated. Their marriage had disintegrated to the point where they were already separated, living separately, and they were filing for divorce. She had gone to her lawyer, and he was told to lawyer up. Well, as they sat there waiting on each other, he's waiting for uh, his lawyer outside the courtroom. He's preparing to face his wife and her lawyer. He started looking in his Bible, and he was looking for that great verse in, in Matthew uh, which talks about don't be anxious for anything. And as he was looking and looking for that verse, Jesus kindly directed him to chapter 5 and pointed this verse to him. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way. He determined in his heart in that very moment that in spite of the fact that it was pretty clear there was no hope for their marriage, that divorce was imminent, that he would listen to the Lord and he would actually not take his wife to court. He would do everything he could to settle quickly outside of court. Well, his lawyer had no idea that this conversation was going on between him and Jesus and meanwhile, his lawyer is telling him, go for it, get all you can get, because like, you're going to do really well in this, and we just need to get everything we can out of this. And So here they sit across the table, him with his lawyer, her with his, her lawyer. Things started not going very well between her and her lawyer. They started actually bickering. In fact, she was getting really agitated with her lawyer. Well, not long after that meeting... There was a change in the heart of his wife. They were able to settle things outside of court. But here's the kicker. The story doesn't end there. You see, the Lord began to do a healing work in both of their hearts 
after years of turmoil, years of separation, and an agreement for divorce, over time, their relationship was restored to the point that they renewed their marriage vows. Their marriage is stronger than ever today, and they are sitting in this very room. God is a great healer when we do what he tells us to do, because his ways are always the best. When we follow the king of the kingdom, you see, we live upside down lives. We have to learn to listen to his voice and believe that when he says, follow me, and tells us how, what it looks like to follow him, that it will always go better for us. Now, I am not suggesting that all matters will get settled and have such a miraculous result. But we can be sure of this. We can be sure that if we heed Jesus' words in our life, that we are opening ourselves up to the potential for miraculous things. Wouldn't you rather leave that option open? You see, sometimes we live our life thinking, well, there's no hope anyway, and it's pretty clear that nothing's going to work out in this situation. And we don't even have an expectation of the miraculous, do we? Jesus says, open the door and give the option for the miraculous. Humble yourself. Listen to what I have to say to you. Things will always go better when you initiate reconciliation with another. How do we live like this? Impossible, actually. You and I can't do it. We struggle every day with the tendency towards anger and frustration towards other. This is our sinful nature that we are waging at war against us. But here is the power source. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of Christ himself. You can't follow Jesus without his power. And he gives you the power of himself to be able to live supernaturally. This is supernatural. And it creates supernatural results in your life. Allow his love to fill your hearts towards those that you struggle with. Allow him to renew your minds and your thoughts towards those who have hurt you. Not out of duty, but out of love. Love for God and love for others. I welcome the worship team to come and join us as we just reflect in closing. When we welcome the rule and reign of the Lord Jesus Christ in our life, when we embrace and accept him, you know what? It does turn our worlds upside down. It's upside down kingdom thinking, isn't it? This week, we experienced as Canadians a really a witness. We shared witness to the, a horrific murder in our country. An undeserved murder. And our response to that murder was one of shock, wasn't it? One of horror. I mean, we are grieving and grieving for that, those families. Do you know that that's the way we need to... We need to be so shocked at murder in our lives. We need to be so appalled by it. We need to hate it as much as we hate what happened on Parliament this week. 
That's how we need to look at what God has asked of us. Believer, we need to live upside down kingdom lives. We need to quickly reconcile and settle matters with others. We need to be the initiator that goes. Even when we, we don't feel and we had no intention of hurting them, we take the initiative to bring reconciliation. We demonstrate just as God has demonstrated to us. If you don't know Jesus, this is impossible. You actually can't do this because the only way we can live like this is through his power. Would you like his power? Would you choose today and say, yes, I will welcome the reign and the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ in my life? Guess what? He will give you his power. You too will be able to live supernaturally. You'll be able to live above circumstances, above the difficulties of what relationships and this earth brings us every day. We have a great king. He loves us. He's the king of the kingdom. And he is the one who says these words to us. Thou shalt not murder. So we respond not out of duty. We respond out of love. And you know what? It changes us. Changes our families. Changes our friendships. Changes our church. Will you open yourself up to the possibility of a miracle in your life in this area? Will you welcome his rule and reign? Will you submit? Will you choose his humility? And will you live like a true child of the king? God bless you.